Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. So I'll just, I'll just drop a thought. Let me have that photo on the screen. Generally on a car, this is called an odometer. An odometer contains a speedometer. An odometer is the entire instrument panel of a vehicle that shows the essentials of how that vehicle functions. Okay? There is a part of the odometer that shows the revolutions per minute, or RPM, which is how fast or how many times per minute the engine spins, providing power to run the vehicle. Does that make sense? Hard drives also use RPM to measure how effective a hard drive is. So you have hard drives that are, are clocked at 54 revolutions per minute. That means in 60 seconds, the disk, the magnet, revolves or spins 5,400 times. That's 5,400 times, right? There's also faster hard drives, hybrid hard drives that run at 7,200 or 7,200 RPMs. So they spin faster, that means they process data quicker, that means they fragment less, right? So you have on the car, you have the, the RPM that shows you how fast your engine is spinning, because that determines how much horsepower has been generated by the engine to power the car, right? On the odometer, you also have a, a temperature gauge that shows you the optimum temperature of the engine because the engine consists of literally converting cold water, piping it all across the engine to keep it cool as it heats up. So the water collects back as hot water because it has done its job of cooling down the engine while the engine is rev revolutionizing to power the vehicle. So that's why it starts off as cold water in the radiator and ends up back as hot water when you finish running the car. Right? And in between that is measuring your temperature and tells you what is optimum for the vehicle. On the odometer, you will also have a fuel gauge, right? That will show you how much petrol uh, you, have, you have, how much you've consumed, potentially how many more gallons of petrol you have or how much more miles you can do before you run out. All right? Um, you also have other basic things like lighting, if you're full beam, you know, low beam, whatever. And then you will have a speedometer. Okay? Now, a speedometer essentially tells you a few things. One, it tells you the metrics or the metric standard by which your vehicle speed is clocked, either in kilometers or in miles. And generally, a kilometer is about two-thirds of a mile. So roughly speaking, three kilometers make two miles. Okay, roughly speaking. Yeah, just not just a little off of that, but it's roughly three to two. Make sense? It will show you if your vehicle is in miles, it will show you if your vehicle is in is clocked at kilometers per hour, and then it will show you how much mileage your vehicle has clocked in its lifetime. Okay? 
not how many miles or kilometers your vehicle can clock, but how many miles it has clocked so far. In more digital vehicles, you will have another option that shows you how many miles or kilometers it has clocked per trip. And you set that trip. For instance, I do that a lot. When I fill my tank, I, I set a trip. So that I know I want to know how many kilometers or miles I did on that full tank by the time I'm ready for my next refuel. Does that make sense? If I'm traveling, I reset the trip. I want to know how, how, much, how many kilometers did I do with how much petrol I bought with AC, without AC. So some vehicles have that option. But generally, every vehicle will have that either digitally or manually that shows you the distance your vehicle has covered in its lifetime. Number one, it shows you the speed, metric standard by which your vehicle speed is clocked, kilometers or miles. It shows you how much mileage your vehicle has clocked. That's how you know which cars are not made to which cars. Yeah, because you see a Camry. This one has 29,623 kilometers on the, on the clock. <laughs> you set that has gone 200 and something thousand kilometers. That one has seen more life, been to more places, experienced more things, has had its fate tested <laughs> more than this baby car. If you are selling a car with 29,000 kilometers on the clock, that's a new car, essentially. Because a car can potentially, I mean, Japanese cars, for instance, a Honda, for instance, is actually wired to go one million kilometers before it gives you a problem. That's how Honda was built. So whenever um, Hondas, Honda owners use vehicles up to, I don't know if they still do it, whenever Honda um, users clock a million, they actually reward them with a car. If you buy a car, brand new, and drove it and clocked a million miles on it, Honda is obligated to give you a new car at one million miles while you keep your old car as a sign of loyalty. Because you have proven to them that your car can go as much as they said it could go. Does that make sense? Now, but obviously, uh, one million miles or one million, even one million kilometers is a lot of time. Does that make sense? So even if you are a very, very, very busy driver, you will not clock more than, I don't know, say 100,000 kilometers a year as a very, very, very busy driver. How we were when I was in the UK. I drove everywhere, every time. Do you understand? So my insurance was always expensive because your insurance policy, when you take out an insurance policy on a car, they ask you what is the average annual mileage you will clock on your vehicle because it shows them how much time you are spending in your car, which means you are more like, likely to have an accident because you are almost always behind the wheel. So you pay more. Does that make sense? So if I said, for instance, if I said in my insurance policy that I am doing 30,000 kilometers a year and they ask me what my odometer reading is and I tell them it's 29,000 and then I have an accident and then I'm wanting to claim even though I am right, I'm not in the wrong and they check my odometer reading and it's reading 63,000 kilometers. It invalidates my claim and I'm owing now the insurance company for how many months I was paying wrong insurance and that's a fraud. So you have to state what your average annual mileage is. Stay under it is fine. Don't exceed it. Does that make sense? So as a very busy road user, at the very tops, 100,000 kilometers, which is at the very top end. But the average person will not drive more than 50,000 kilometers a year. Where are you going? Are you with me? So it will take you, let's say, between 15 to 20 years to clock a million miles, at least, from brand new. 
and the average vehicle user doesn't even have patience to use a car that long. Imagine, imagine despising every new vehicle and just saying, I bought my Honda in 1999, brand new. There's nothing in this world that will make me consider any other vehicle but my 1999 Honda. It's difficult. I mean, there are people like that, but it's very rare. You follow me now? For the last thing that it, that it shows you on the speedometer part of your odometer is the speed capacity of your vehicle. So at where the needle is, is zero kilometers. In the middle of that dash, you can see that this is charted to kilometers per hour. At zero to 220, it tells you that the fastest your car is designed to go is 220 kilometers an hour. That means in 60 minutes, 60 minutes, you have gone from here to Potakot and maybe back to as far as Eket on the east-west road in 60 minutes. At 220, it tells you that this car can cover 220 kilometers in an hour. Are you following me? So picture the length of 220 kilometers, which is roughly about, say, 160-ish miles. So 220 miles, 220 kilometers an hour means how fast you can go, but how much distance that speed can cover. So when you see 60, it means at this speed, this car can only cover 60 kilometers of distance in each hour. Are you following me now? But that number at the end there, 220, shows you that this car is powered to drive as fast as 220 an hour. Are you with me? As fast as 220 kilometers an hour. Next question. The average driver will never, ever, will ever drive their car at 220 kilometers an hour. But the car can go at 220 an hour. It can. Even in race track conditions, there are specific things that are put in place to ensure that only in that controlled environment, at a particular stretch, can you hit a particular speed. Does that make sense? If you were going to go 220, if you were going to go as high as breaking the sound barrier, if you watch anything about technology, you'll find that those guys travel in a street road on the most controlled asphalt, not tar, not cold tar. Solid asphalt tarmac in a straight road with all kinds of health and safety measures in place. So these vehicles have hydrogen balloons behind them to slow them down when their engine burns out. There is controlled environments that enable the user to maximize the capacity of this vehicle. Because the average person will not. Now, can the car hit 220? Yes, it can. Otherwise, it would have been a fraud of them to pin it at 220 kilometers an hour. Does the fact that this 220 kilometers an hour is the capacity of the car mean that each time you drive your car, you drive with 220 in mind? You will kill yourself by 120. Because guess what? 
as much as there's capacity for your vehicle to run at 220 kilometers an hour, there are a lot of circumstances beyond your control that have to come together totally to work to achieve your capacity. And because you are not in control of life, you cannot guarantee that all these circumstances will come together to enable you max 220. But your car has the capacity to go 220. Now you can look at me and say, ah, why? Why do we have speed limits? In the UK, we have speed limits with cameras. They don't chase you. Police doesn't chase after you. No, kill yourself. We know your address. You, a camera will just snap you three times. As you are approaching the camera, one. As you are passing, two. As you are giving your behind, three. All these three shots happen in less than a nanosecond. Literally, if you're not very observant, you'll not realize that there were three flashes. You think it was one. But it's, and it's three shots. HD shots. You will see your face. <laughs> you cannot say it wasn't me. You will see the number plate of your car nicely in white in front, nicely in yellow behind. Then the camera adds a timestamp to the photograph. And the name of the camera, the name of the street, the sector of the street you are passing. And then finally, also timestamps the speed at which you were traveling versus the speed you are supposed to be traveling. So you're doing 61 kilometers in a 50 mile zone. You will snap your 61 and tell you you're supposed to be 50. Nobody will chase you. You will get a receipt, a ticket in your house. They will still tell you you were alleged. Because they don't want to upset you. <laughs> they say, yeah. So you are alleged to have been found over speed. If it was not you, provide details of who it was that was driving the vehicle. Try and fight and see what will happen to you. They will put points on your license. Three points. Penalty points. 100 pounds fine if you pay in 14 days. Your insurance premium will go up. Because you're now a high risk driver. If it happens again, three points, 100 pounds. By nine points, they collect your license. They revoke your license for two years or three years or five years and send you back to driving school to learn driving all over again, do your theory test, do your practical test, and then start from the bottom of the ladder, which means your insurance will be like 10 times what it used to be. But your car can go 220. 240. 260. So if you feel like my car is to drive 220, why are you doing this to me? You will kill yourself before you get there. So I've now finished teaching my message. Let me explain it to you. You will never, ever, ever be able to fully utilize the liberty you have in Christ Jesus. You will never. See, the liberty you have in Christ, you will never be able to exploit to its fullness. You, the capacity that the grace of God gives you, you can't dream of it. You can't. 
what the finished work of Christ did to bring you into. You can't imagine it, sir. This small that we have thought about grace, religions, people, ah, yeah, yeah. people are so flustered and so troubled. If only they knew that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Listen to me and listen to me carefully. Sin is not the problem for the believer. Whether sin is alive or dead, for the believer there is no such thing as sin. Because whether sin was alive or dead, the believer is dead to sin. That means, and hear me carefully and hear me critically, that means God does not reckon sin to the believer. There is nothing a believer will do that God will call sin. Why do we say that? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 8-2, has set us free from the law of sin. We are freed from the law of sin. The strength, Paul says in Romans, of sin is the law. For where there is no law, there is no imputation of sin. Even if sin exists, it is the law that defines sin. Now, you can argue if you like about whether sin is dead or alive. The one I can tell you is dead is law. That one scripture is abundantly clear on. The law is dead. For a woman is bound to her husband. Romans 7. Only as long as she is alive. So, so, so what Christ did was to set up our marriage to the law. So that our husband can die. Because as soon as our husband dies, we can remarry. Because you'll be committing adultery. To remarry when your other husband is still alive. So God now did some calculations in Christ. To set up assassins to kill your husband. As soon as your husband died. He married you. And just before somebody will say. Look at this person. Her husband was killed for her. Okay. They are still looking at you. Are you come yourself. Let's kill you. So now, the you that even your husband died for, you said you are now dead. Yeah. So the law is dead. Mm-hmm. Now, if the law, which is the strength of sin, is dead, then sin cannot be a factor to a believer who is not under the law that gives sin its strength. Yes, yes, that means God does not reckon a believer by sin. It does not exist in the vocabulary of God to the believer. And this is stuff that the church cannot handle. And it's okay. We're taking our time. We'll get there. Because listen, until you begin to bask in your faith in the absence of the fear of sin and its consequence, you are still under the law while professing grace. If the only time you will act well is when you are afraid that if you act wrong, you'll be punished, you are not a son of God. Now, this is the control of the church for centuries. The organized church determines who started prostitution in the world? Church. The church. If we must have this adultery and pornea, let's control and regulate how it is done, where it is done, and to whom it is done with. The church employed the first prostitutes professionally. 
So let us put checks and balances. Let's create a hell. Let's start sending people there. Already. Well, you know how many people that we have sent to hell over centuries? It gives you every reason to be afraid of that hell. So we now change the message. It's no longer about the love of God in Christ. It's about the fear of hell. That's why Pav will tell you, even if he says it alone and sounds crazy, that Christ did not come to save you, to deliver you from hell. Because even if there was no hell, you would have come. God never meant to be father of one son. It was never God's intention. Jesus, not the only son. I say it's a lie. We listened to yesterday. I said, no, they didn't know anything. That's blasphemy. They lost it. So, the law, which is the strength of sin, is dead. Now, you make for yourself what is the fate of sin. When I know what happened to the instrument that funnels or powers sin. If law, which arms sin, is dead, then sin has no power over you. Paul says that very beautifully in Romans 5. I think it's Romans 5, 19 or thereabouts. He says, the, the, the law, sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Yes, sir. So grace is the escape out of the dominion of the law. Yes, sir. So no, I do not stand before you. In fact, I have not taught you grace. Religious people will carry a pole and kill themselves. If they begin to understand the weight of, you will find another name. Hyper is not enough. That's why I don't argue unnecessarily. Grace. Grace. Of God. To the believer. You cannot doubt yourself. You cannot. You cannot unsave yourself. So sin is not the issue. It's not an issue for the believer. The grace of God brings such liberty. See, the liberty of God is so ridiculous that God does not have what it takes to throw you away, no matter what you do. Hey, don't tell people this thing, no. They will go crazy, yo. Are you the police of grace? Mama, Hey, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus, the liberty, the assurance you have is something angels desire to look into. Are you understanding? The responsibility that comes with that grace is that that liberty puts you at 220. You are very foolish if you now think because you have liberty, nobody should stop you from using it. You will kill yourself. You see, if you allow the devil whisper to you that we are attacking your liberty, that's the same way you allow them to tell you, press this throttle now. Press this, nobody they rode now. Press it, press it. See, 95% of accidents on the road happen due to human error, not brake failure. Human error. You on the phone, 
You think you can beat that traffic light? You know, you put in cruise control when you know that the road is bending left, right, and center. Because cruise control, you set it, you set your car at 180, engage cruise control, take your leg off the pedal, and just hold the steering. The car drives itself until you step on the brake. If you are like me, when you're driving, especially in European roads, you're driving, you are not wanting anything that will make you want to step on the brake. Because once you step on the brake, it cancels cruise control. Does that make sense? So once you set cruise control at 90 miles an hour, oh, and you're playing that music, you know, your Harman Kardon speakers or your Bose speakers or Kenwood, and you're rocking it, you, you just want to keep going. So you are seeing a hazard develop in front. You are seeing somebody's brake lights there. And you're like, but if I brake now, it will spoil my cruise control. So let me just be driving in the hope that by the time I get there, he would have moved or I can clear. 95% of accidents are down to human error. Not vehicular malfunction. The problem with a believer is you don't want, the moment you taste new creation, you feel like anybody that tells you to mind your conduct, you feel like they are trying to steal or stifle your liberty. You are foolish. No believer will ever, ever scratch the marks of the liberty he has in Christ. It will kill you before you get there. It will kill you before you get there. And it wasn't God that killed you. Because you can get up and sue the car manufacturer and say, if you know that 220 kilometers an hour is dangerous, why did you put it into the car to go that fast? That we built the capacity in the vehicle doesn't suggest that you should max it. In other words, 220, put it up, is only achievable when it is absolutely conducive. And the bulk of ensuring that conduciveness, unfortunately, does not lie with you. So you have liberty you cannot dream of. You will never, ever in the earth. Max it. The undoing of a New Testament believer is in his or her delusion that they can max out their liberty in Christ. It's a delusion. Now they say, put back, they don't know the gospel, first of all, they're going to talk about balance. Because the gospel is full. It's complete. This is what Paul tells them about their liberty. Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to what? Liberty. Ah, man. The liberty we have, honestly, you can't dream about it. Can you imagine that the liberty you have in the grace of God is that you have made heaven. Heaven has moved into you. That's why even the people that preach it are careful. And then religious people come to you and go, are you saying that there is... Sir, yes, I'm saying it. It's heavy in my mouth, though. But that is exactly what I'm saying. Are you saying there's nothing I can do that will dislodge me from God like this? Sir, with all humility, that is exactly what I'm saying. Or else it is not a finished. Now, the church is not ready to handle this. Or we're coming. Because if you are only a child of God because you are afraid of what will happen if you did something wrong, you are a hypocrite. You're not saved. If you also now go, ah, there's nothing I can do, let me come and do. You are Antichrist. You're Antichrist. You are never saved. Because there's a responsibility that comes with liberty. 
Now, once you settle in the fact that I have liberty more than I can spend, and I have understood that I will never be able to spend it all, you will come off the pressure to have a different niche for yourself, and you will come off the propensity to hurt somebody else with your liberty. There's a lot of maturity and stability and beauty. You will come into as a son of God when you understand that 220 doesn't mean 220. 220 doesn't mean 220. In other words, that you have 220 doesn't mean you should go 220. You can't. But I love you so much, I give you all of me. Do you know what all of God means? Do you know what all of God means? Do you know what it means to be in God? That no matter what you do and where you go, you cannot go out of him. It's only bad disciples that will want to put their foot on the pedal and not care what happens to either them or others around them on account of them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 220 doesn't mean 220. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 1. Let me have the NLT. It's going to be a bit of a read. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Verse 2. Keep going. I'm going all the way to verse 12. Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? That's number one. And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Keep going. See the next set of our responsibility. Don't you realize we will judge angels? We'll judge the world. We'll judge angels. So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. I mean, you're going to judge the world. You're going to judge angels. And you are fighting among yourselves. You are living in the same house with your brother and sister. You can't live in harmony. You can't transact a business that doesn't go south. And you are going to judge angels. Again, hear the language of Paul. Paul doesn't say, do you not realize, brethren, that, go back yesterday, that your inability to settle ordinary disputes endangers your ability to judge angels. He doesn't say that. You will judge angels. No matter how stupid you behave, you are just a stupid son of God. You are a son of God who is just senseless. And it's not sensible sons of God that will judge angels. It's sons. Now, if you understand your place as a son of God, do you not want to be stupid? That's, that's the entirety of the New Testament. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's the entirety of the message of grace. So because you know you're judging this, you want to act lawlessly. So you mean you, in your heart you can settle with acting like an idiot while knowing that you still sit down and judge angels? That's Paul's argument. 220 doesn't mean 220. Just on that count, he says, I ordinary little matter. You can't judge. You don't sit down there performing judging of angels. You said, how will you see it? When you're passing judgment on angels, 
when among yourselves you couldn't settle something with you. You say, check him. That's Paul's argument. And that's the argument of grace in the context of liberty. Not that disputes disqualify you from judging angels. No, it's, it's finished too. So you should surely be able to, if you have capacity to judge angels. Come on, man. Come on. Issues among yourselves you can't sort out. In this life, thanks much. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another. Right in front of other unbelievers. Seven. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? What am I trying to prove? Is it worth it? Next verse. Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now stay with me carefully. This will make sense. Don't, don't, don't ex- exegete. Don't rush it. Stay. Enjoy the ride. Because again, religious people just, just wait. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality go on or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Stay here, verse 10, and the whole church says, Amen. Amen. It is true. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now see verse 11. First line. Please, King James. Such were some of you but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So yes, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Such was me. I am washed. I am sanctified. I am justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. Do you get this now? Now sit down. This is what Paul is saying. If you are or were a homosexual and yesterday you you homosexualized. No now. Such were you. You will judge angels. You will. Because you are saved. You are your mess. Don't say this. You are saved. You're not saved because you don't commit sexual sin. You are saved. And your sexual sin cannot unsave you. It cannot. You will judge angels. Yes, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is true. Why are you worried about such way you now? So the argument is you cannot act like you used to be. Yes, sir. Mm. Like 
cannot. Not stop this thing, oh, because it's going to kill you. You cannot act like you used to be. Go back to Proverbs 11. Oh. Go into verse 12. Take me back to NLT. Now, you say, this is the last verse I need to See, Paul took time to explain their liberty. Then he says, you say, I am allowed to do anything. End of quote. Because I am allowed to do anything. I am. See, I can come to church naked if I like. My liberty in Christ at the time I come naked to church, my needle has not shifted. It's not, it's not things like nakedness that will shift this needle. That's not what will shift this needle. Ah, look at him! Stark naked! His needle has not shifted. Are you... Yes, I'm saying. So by the time somebody gets up and says, God said I should tell you, people that are wearing eyelashes will not make heaven. People that are wearing thinking will not make heaven. That person is not even in a car to have a speedometer. So on a bicycle. So on a wheelbarrow. No, see, I can. But because I know, I won't. I, I won't, not because I can't. No, I can. There's no stopping my canning. Not because if I did, I will lose me. You say I can do all things. Paul doesn't, if that statement was wrong, Paul would have corrected it. I will show you in chapter 10. Just stay with me. Because if, if Paul was against it, he should have corrected it. He should have said you cannot do anything. Cannot do everything. No, he didn't say that. Go back. That's 11. When the NLT, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 12 now. You say I'm allowed to do anything. End of quote. But now Paul says, not everything is good for you. Tell your neighbor, not everything is good for you. Tell the other neighbor, not everything is good for you. So you see 220, that you can do it and get away with it doesn't mean it is good for you. I will now explain to you someday God's concept of righteousness. As different from good and evil. I've hinted it. Here and there, here and there, here and there. That morality is not God's standard. Morality is not God's standard. Because by morality, this is black, this is white. We follow it like this. By God's standard, you can do this. And to you it is right. And to this person it is wrong. Same thing. Same thing. And this same thing to somebody else is right. To you it is wrong. Same thing. You can pray. In Jesus' name, God is pleased. You can pray in Jesus' name, God is upset. How are you praying about this? Shut up. Prayer in Jesus' name. The mind of the Father. Sin. So sin is not morality. It was a fallen man that determined morality. Not everything is good for you. Not everything that is good is good for you. Verse 12. And even though he opens another truth statement, in quote, I am allowed to do anything. You see, he's not arguing against it. <laughs> he's telling them, I'm allowed to do anything. I'm allowed to do anything. But I must not become a slave 
to anything. So your liberty ends at the point where it attempts to enslave you. At the point where the camera will snap you and send you a ticket that stands you losing your license even though you can still afford a car. Because you see, that we revoked your license doesn't mean that you cannot afford a car. You just will no longer be able to drive it. So at the point where your liberty in Christ will jeopardize your life in the earth, that's your speed limit. That's your speed limit. You don't have to go to 20. You can't. You cannot handle it. Do you know what the maximum liberty reading in Christ is? No, you don't. And you will never know. But there are checks and balances the gospel puts in place to ensure you don't blow yourself out. That's why I've said from the beginning, I tell you, I said, a son of God, grace cannot run out for a son of God. It's a son of God that can run out on grace. You will see, grace will do you like this, you will drown. Because you will say, ah, the grace of God covers me to do this. And you are right. Be doing. And do. And see, you will only enjoy grace when you are successfully inside your body. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> when you are successfully inside your body, living a healthy life. So sons of God cannot run out of grace, but they can run out on grace. You go crazy because you have liberty. It will kill you. So God is responsible enough to put checks and balances even though you have a limitless speed limit. First check and balance is where it begins to make you a slave to that thing. Second thing is where it begins to make your brother stumble. That's a speed limit. You must respect it. Skip to chapter 8 in verse 9. But you must be careful that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. That's a speed limit. In other words, you can dress naked. But if somebody who has a problem with naked body parts in public will be distracted or discomfited by your liberty, you are slave there. Inside freedom, you become bound. That's why I've, de- I've declared over the years that the gospel is a bondage that frees and a freedom that binds. Now you are not of God if you continually insist on spending your liberty at the expense of your brother. You're not saved. Even if you're a pastor, bishop, reverend. I don't care who you are. Paul was speaking to the churches. The point at which your liberty, uncle, you have it. You have it. It's yours. You have liberty you cannot even dream of. Let me just remind you. In case you start to think, oh, are you trying to limit me? Yes. Inside what is limitless. It cannot be a natural law that is not representative of a stronger spiritual law. Otherwise, why did we even put brakes in the car? The car is designed for moving. So if you keep insisting that I have liberty, I have liberty, I have I don't care about what you think. I don't care about what you have to say. You're not saying you're just a recycled unbeliever that was looking for an excuse. Verse 10. For if others see you with your this is just a case study now, okay? Eating in the temple of an idol. It can be anything. Because 
if you read, read um, Romans 14, you read 1 Corinthians 8 from the beginning, from verse 1, it's talking about believers eating food given to idols. And we can. Masquerade food I can eat. I can. Food cooked on the body of a dead person I can eat. See, look at me and listen to me. You have liberty. You have it. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, stand fast. 6 verse 1. Stand fast in the liberty. Stand fast. Stand fast. Stand fast. You have liberty. There's nothing scripture is regulating that it is doing because you don't have liberty. It is because you have liberty that we have to regulate it. Or you kill yourself. If, if, if the car was not so fast, we're not even bother to even put brake. You know, just be going. It's because of the capacity that checks and balances are introduced. God is magnanimous in his grace and his wisdom. So at the point where it will cause somebody else to stumble, at that point you will lay off your drinking. Lay off your idol eating. Lay off your spaghetti top and your tight dress. Look hot, we know. See, if you have curves, hear me carefully, ladies. If you have curves, or rest until somebody else sees it. That possess. That's not the Holy Spirit. Because it was not their seeing that curved you. David sat down in Psalm 139 and said, Kai, I praise you because I am fearfully and one who told him. Who told him? It wasn't his chest hanging out in public, receiving compliments that informed him he was fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, sir. He knew. So pride was far from him. So you're covetous. Great. You can wear and hang out your public statistics. Fine. You can be absolutely naked. Fine. It does nothing to your salvation until it affects me. And you cannot control what affects me and how. You can only learn by observing. Why will you be offended when you see my breast? Don't you have self-control? That's not for you to control. Their self-control is not for you to control. So you can afford it, but you don't need it. And you can't control the circumstances surrounding how you use it. So you can't keep getting offended that you cannot do what you want to do because we are here. Think of our presence as a speed limit. You cannot live in isolation of the body of Christ. You live in consideration of the body of Christ. If others see you, Holy Spirit, help me. If you, with your superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, wouldn't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? Because at that point, your neighbor or your brother cannot deal with that stretch of liberty. Drinking is not measured as a sin against the believer. Because what calls it sin is dead. You have liberty and you are exercising it. And somebody else who has equal liberty sees this thing as the very vice that has messed up his family, torn his mom apart, caused them to be a mockery in the street. How do you think that edifies that young man when he sees you, a son of God he should look up to, 
indulging in something that he only knows to bring destruction. That's where you allow your liberty to bind you. So because that person's conscience cannot handle what your conscience can handle. I'm watching certain movies with certain people. If I see that the language is lewd and profane, I stop the movie. Not because it affects my salvation. Why will I sit down with people and pastoring and hearing words that are vulgar 20 times a, a minute in the name of watching a movie? No, there's tons of other options to watch. Generally, I'm averse to swearing. I don't like lewdity or profanity in language. It turns me off grossly. Grossly. But how much more when I'm with people that I'm shining lights to? No matter how much I like film reads, we will shut the film down and play Scrabble. You cannot say, hey, my friend, my friend, Ginger, watch now. You are a son of God. You have liberty. You are a witch. You can't force your liberty down somebody's throat. No. And you're not the one that can bully them into a higher level of liberty appropriation. In other words, it's not by bullying somebody that they can learn that they have more liberty. You don't bully them into it. You, don't, you can't control everything around you. Is this helping anybody? You can't. So at the point where it stands to jeopardize somebody else, you cut it off. Somebody's coming to your house and you know that, you know, I'm a voluptuous person. I'm a lady that has curves and stuff. And I'm wearing this and so and so person is coming. Take it off. It doesn't hurt. You're a young man, you're coming to a garden of people and your chest is flying. You think, oh, oh well, the girls don't matter. How about other boys that are looking at boys? Oh, girls don't really care for chest. You, have you know, do you know how many fantasies girls have about chest? And then you now go, why should they be having fantasies? My question to you, why should you be having a chest? You understand? Remove your chest. Give somebody for chest transplant. Because you don't need a chest. Why would they be, how will a lady sit down and be fantasizing about chest? Why will you sit down and be Jimmy a chest? Say your chest. You get the point now. You can't sit down and be there and blaming somebody else for not having the capacity to handle your liberty. No. You regulate your liberty in the interest of a fellow believer. Regulate. So at the point where it causes somebody else to stumble, shut it down. Shut it down. So because of your Superior knowledge of a believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. Somebody say, God forbid. God forbid. Not on account of me. Not on account of, me. Not on account of my liberty. Not on account of my liberty. Next verse. And when you sin against other believers, by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. See how God now begins to define wrongdoing in the kingdom. Not by morality. By the culture of the kingdom. Stay here. And when you offend weaker believers by wounding their consciences in this way, you also offend the anointed one. A message. When you hurt your friend, you hurt Christ. Yeah, carefully. Those of you that run around gallivanting. A free meal here and there isn't worth it. At the cost of even one of these weak ones. Oh, come on, my friend, get up, let's do this. Let's go party. You know, let's do let's, this. Let's, let's. And you push somebody because you see, somebody can come under pressure to feel like they are dulling in the faith when they are not doing what you're doing. 
they don't, they don't party like you. They don't go hard and they play like you do. And then you start to put them under pressure. You are, you are sinning against Christ by your liberty in Christ. It's not worth it. 13 and the last for this text. Give me back NLT. 13. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, that sin being violating their conscience, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. This is when you are a son of God. Leave me. I can wear whatever I like. You know, Christ, see, everybody should face themselves. Everybody should look at what they're looking at. Everybody should concentrate on Jesus. It's like you're saying, everybody, when I'm driving my car out, everybody else stay in your house. All the traffic lights stay green. Nobody should be on the road. The road should not even curve left or curve right. You should stay straight so I can see as I'm going. Because I'm driving my car, I'm going to drive it at 220. That's exactly what you're saying. Don't look at my boobs. Affrontes. Look at Jesus. We're looking at him. Your breast is in the way. Get your breast out of the way. There's a difference between Jesus standing here. We now leave Jesus looking at your breast. And we are looking at Jesus. You now came and entered the field of view. Oh, your breasts are nice. Solomon says your breasts are like twin fawns hanging over the cedars of Lebanon. It's in your Bible. But see, carry your breasts and shift. It's Jesus we want to see. Stop off your chest. Wipe that app off your phone. Whatever it takes to ensure that another believer doesn't stumble. That's your speed limit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In the UK in summer, people go basically naked. Basically naked on the subway, in the train. People are fainting. We Africans were laughing. It's fun. Oh yeah. You live in Kano. Live in Sokoto. <laughs> and I say summer, summer, summer. It's 29 degrees. Are you crazy? 30, 36, 38. Try 42. So for us, it's a joke. For them, small, something to cover the breast, something to cover the behind, and then they are still sweating. People faint on the trains. They pour water on them. Yeah, they say heat wave. Yeah. Yeah, heat wave. Their skins are literally red. They are driving. Their windows are down. They are, the guys are topless. Driving. Topless. No, not, no singlet. And you can see they are suffering. Their body is red. They feel like they are going to fry. They are genuinely boiling over. Genuinely. Excuse me. If she has nice behind, honestly, she's not trying to show you. She's trying to stay alive. Same thing for winter. You wear your nice dress. You wear it. You now wear overcoat. You now wear cardigan. Then do your scarf. Then do a big winter jacket over it. You're wearing thick leggings, like three. Then you wear your og boots. You don't have time for heels. You wear your og boots inside. Wear your earmuffs. Tie your scarf. Wear your thick gloves. Rich church. You say you are color combining. It doesn't matter. Black. So I wore this dress. You will not see your dress. You will not see it. Six months. All we are seeing is snow and ice and cold. Not your dress color, man. So you now come here and go, hey, look at them now in their broad. They used to wear bomb shorts. They're not in their broad. And here, the hot never reach. In the same hot, 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 hot. Go, go see them in Dubai. 
See them in Kano. It's still where they are nice flowing. And they look gorgeous. Now I'm not saying you should dress with extra yards to sew bedsheet. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you must be considerate of the circumstances around you. And understand you cannot control all of them. Verse 13. Are you getting this? I don't want another believer to stumble. Stay here in the tippity. So I conclude that if my eating certain foods deeply offends my brother and hinders his advance in Christ, I will never eat it again. It's not that deep. I don't want to be guilty of causing my brother or sister to be wounded and defeated. Of what benefit is your liberty if it causes somebody else to stumble? What benefit? Last scripture, First Corinthians 10, 23-33. I wrote here, the limit of the expression of your liberty in Christ begins at the point which that liberty in Christ begins to cause somebody else to stumble. Okay, First Corinthians 10 and 23. All things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. Give me NLT. Let me see how he puts this. All things are lawful. All things. It's, it's a very powerful statement. It can grow you. It can kill you. You say, I'm allowed to do all things. Yes, granted. But not everything is good for you. This is chapter 10. Echoing chapter 6. Is that serious? Is that serious? It's actually the same conversation that's running from chapter 6. Right through him beginning to go into chapter 11. Where they are dealing with communion. No waiting for people to come and sit with you getting drunk. It's the same conversation. Hair covering. Same conversation. You say I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is beneficial. Stay here. Give me the New King James so you can see it. You say I'm. Yeah, New King James. All things are lawful for me. But all things are not helpful. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. But not all things edify. Not all things edify. Next verse. Let no one seek his own. But each one the other's well-being. NLT. Let's stay in NLT. Be easy. Don't be concerned for your own good. But for the good of others. 25. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience. Keep going. For the earth is the Lord's and everything is in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. See, that means even, even in this, this scenario, sanctifying food is not necessary. How much more your own food you made. Eat without raising questions of conscience. Oh, how did you Okay, did you pray? Yeah. No, no, no. Eat. Nice verse. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. Because by this time, this person is watching you. Say, ah, hey, you want to eat food that was given to idols? You, a Christian. Everybody, hey, hey now. I have liberty. But this person has highlighted this because they are weaker in understanding. They're the one who has superior knowledge. At that point, you will excuse yourself from eating it. The legal term is recuse yourself from eating it just because 
it can jeopardize the conscience of this person who doesn't understand that by his reality or his understanding of Christianity, this food ain't got nothing on your salvation because he doesn't understand that. And you probably don't have the time to start teaching him the doctrine of liberty. Between doctrine of liberty and food, leave it. Leave it. What is food? Food for the belly, belly for food, both will perish. What is cares of this world? What is dressing? What is sex? What is a, a spiff? What is a smoke? What is a bottle? At the point where somebody is looking at you, and somebody will never believe that because you have a bottle in front of you, you are a believer. Then if you continue in the bottle, the bottle is your God. If you are telling me you cannot put down the bottle, because after all, I have conviction that this doesn't affect my faith, the bottle is your God. Because there's somebody who will never ever listen to you with a bottle on the table, with a smoke in your hand. Of course, everybody should grow in their maturity, but they shouldn't stumble in their growth process just because you have liberty. You get that? 29. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. You understand? It doesn't disturb you. But the other person looks at it and goes, ah, this, this is disturbing. And this is where you start to trust your leaders. Because you may not necessarily understand the impact of your behavior or appearance or conduct or speech part of it on other people. You can trust your leaders to lead you in love. Leaders also must lead from love and not from personal preference. You must never look at somebody based on how you prefer a thing to appear. Look at them based on the dictates of God's word in spite of you. In other words, you can't look at somebody funny because, oh, this person is wearing such a figure-hugging dress. Generally, I'm not a figure-hugging person. Maybe you should even be wearing more figure-hugging dresses that you don't know. So you look so boring, leader. That's why you go around looking at everybody's grandmother, leader. But if you're so stuck up in yourself, you won't realize that there's more to life than your personal preference. There's more to life than how you like it. Your way is not the only way. Only Jesus is the only way. Only Jesus is the only way. Once you remove Jesus and salvation, there are many ways to get the same thing done. So you must be careful as a leader not to look at somebody from your own personal preference. Oh, me, I don't like people doing like this. I don't mean I don't like attachment. No problem. Bab your head. It's okay. But don't now judge somebody as I say, oh, the attachment is too loud. So we don't have to pander to your personal preference. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying here is trust that your spirit-led leaders can pick the vibe of the response of the church to something you did, said, or looked like. And on the basis of that, they're able to tell you, sister, you look hot, but adjust. You look nice. Just see the speed limit. Because you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's that way you appreciate the good in a person, appreciate the, the exercising of their liberty, understand that it is good. It's just at this point, too good. That is now bad. You understand? So, oh, I like hot tea. Nobody likes cold tea. But yeah, get hot tea, go hot. The tongue, the roof of your tongue will come down. And you will eat it inside the tea. You will drink tea and you will spend a few weeks killing the roof of your mouth. At that point, who hot tea help? So there is hot until there is so hot that it's too hot. You get me? Yes, That's how, oh, I want to drink cold water. Drink cold water. You enter it, it goes straight to your brain. 
you, you literally freeze for a few moments. You say, please give me the coldest water you can find. Careful. 220 is not always 220. So leaders will go to you and tell you, careful. So everybody's getting a chance to grow, but that's why you trust leaders to begin to guide you. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? Next verse. If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. 33. I too try to please everyone in everything you do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so many may be so old. Many can be interpreted to be both the believer and the unbeliever in this context. Because if my abuse of liberty can cause somebody else to stumble, then my respect of liberty can cause them to be saved. In other words, to not stumble. Or to be rescued from stumbling. So Sozo can be contextual there to both the believer and unbeliever. If what I do can cause you to stumble, and then what, if I don't do what I do that causes you to stumble, it means it, it has prevented you from stumbling. It has saved you. Does that make sense? Now, the last question, or the question will now be, so, pastor, what am I then supposed to do if I have to regulate my liberty? Why did God give me? And the answer to that is this. You must trust that whatever speed limit in your liberty the Holy Spirit allows you to function in per time is sufficient for you to get you where he needs you to be per time. At one point or the other, conditions are different. At the point that God, by his spirit, puts a a, a speed limit, you must trust that it is sufficient for you to get there at that time. Where the road is free, the Lord will not naturally tell you, drive at them. He opens up the stretches of your liberty. When it's not, he will close it. And he will use me to close it. He will use your pastors to close it. He will use your leaders to close it. Your brethren to close it. You learn to respect it. You must trust that the limit he allows you to drive at per time is sufficient enough in your journey to get you where you ought to be at that time. Must trust it. Liberty is not just absolute. It's limitless with variables. And that's how we help each other to grow. And not stretch the limit of your liberty at the expense of somebody else. That's why we are a healthier church. That's why we are a more loving church. And then everybody can concentrate on growing. Because it's important that the environment is enabling for growth. It's important that people that you have not reached are not already put off by how you appear before you try to reach them. Because if something I don't understand is already rubbing off on me wrongly, it stands in the way of my accepting whatever you have to say. So careful with your presentation, it matters. Careful with how you talk, it matters. Careful with how you present yourself, it matters. Careful with how you, what you wear, it matters. So we don't have to put a, a, a law. 
Because each time a law is put, see, makes sense. It's not because we're afraid of you. No, it's not because we're afraid of you that we're not putting laws and regulations. Which time we do that is sin wakes up by the strength of the law. So we now try to make sure that we don't live according to regulations, but we manage you enough and teach you into maturity. Because in the long run, that is more profitable for you. But your problem is when there's no rules and regulations, you want to act anyhow you like. You have liberty, but you don't have to carry it like a cross. 220 is not 220. Your liberty is limitless. Your expression is limited. Your liberty is limitless. Your expression is limited. We will deal with you according to the limits of your expression, not according to the limitlessness of your liberty. Is this instructed to anybody? The limitedness of your expression is what matters to us. Your limitedness of your liberty, young God, I God give you. But you will not be able to max that speedometer. You will never be able to. So stop leaving your work with God like you intend to max this out in the earth. Because you won't. It will kill you before you do. Before you do. Don't ever, if you were doing like before, repent today. And save yourself a lot of heartache and trouble. You have a car. Your life, your life ambition should not be this car. I will, this nigga will push there. That's when I will know I have drive this car. You will kill yourself. Unfortunately, you might take a few by, passers by, a few pedestrians, a few other cars in your wake. Why argue is not my car? I bought it. Why can't I drive it the way I want? That's the same thing we're doing in the body of Christ. Hurting people. Destroying relationships. Causing distractions. Causing rebellions. Because you believe you have liberty and you're not respecting the limit of your liberty. Trust the Lord that every now and then he will give you road and determine how you drive on it. Trust. Trust. That if he needs you to look hot, he will make an avenue for you to look hot and it will be for his glory. It will bring edification. And the day he wants you to look formal and corporate, even though it's not your thing, he will inform you to look formal and corporate because of what he stands to do through you. So we have liberty, but it is restricted to a speed limit. And every time as we go on our journey, the Lord is able to tell you, now, step on the accelerator, blast it. Let your head down. And put it back together. Okay, now, son, pull it together. Slow down. Stay here for a minute. You cannot exercise liberty outside the regulation of the Holy Spirit. Now, we plug the gap on every hurt that has been caused by the abuse of liberty. In the name of Jesus, light and understanding comes. We are matured and we understand that our liberty is limitless. The expressions are as regulated by the workings of the Holy Spirit. Walking in us through the leaders to will and do of his own good pleasure. We give you thanks and praise. Hallelujah. Celebrate God. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus two three four seven. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.